Welcome to Be The Light Podcast with C.B. Barthlow, lead pastor of Denver Beacon. I am your host, Pastor Ty Morris. Our desire is to lead the lost, the broken, and the hopelessness of our communities, to be light bearers in our city set on a hill. Now tune in for our sermon series. Y'all want to open your Bible, say yeah. Okay, we read just now the story of the wise men. Now, most of us believe that there are three wise men, amen? You've heard, we three kings of Orient are. We all think that there's three wise men. However, I hate to burst your bubble, but that's gonna happen about five times today. There were not three wise men. We don't know how many wise men there are. We believe there were three because there's three gifts mentioned. But what we understand is a group of men came to see Jesus. And we're going to pick up our story right there, right at the beginning. Mostly what I'm going to do is spend my time today in verses 1 and 2, the beginning of the story, and the heart when they finally find Jesus in verses 9 through 11. And I want to just leave you with this first point, because we call them wise men, and I think it's important that we find out why. But here's, here's the first point if you're taking notes today, okay? The wise, those who are wise, seek the divine. The wise seek the divine. Now, when we read this story about the wise men, some translations have them listed as kings, some as magicians. The word most commonly found in scripture is magi, which translates to sorcerer, practitioner of witchcraft, necromancer, or astrologer. That should flip it for you. Here's what we actually know historically about this these men. They were Zoroastrian astrologers from likely Arabia or Persia. These were men in the ancient East who were known as scientists or scholars who studied the stars and celestial beings, who were known as wise and learned men, and also were able to use that wisdom and learning and apply it to the Near Eastern West Semitic religion of the day. They were like new age practitioners in Jesus's time, right? These were like horoscope writers. Can I say it that way? For those of you reading your horoscope, you're like, no, not me. I'm not, I'm not, I don't, I'm just team Jesus, not team Scorpio. (laughs) These were people who believed that the stars had implications around the life in which they lived. And the Bible tells us that they saw a star. And what I love about this is that, um, well, quite frankly, God decides to reveal himself to a people who would not call themselves by his name normally. This is what's interesting. See, if you read the rest of the chapter, you'll find that when they come to Herod the Great, who's king over the Jews, though not a Jew himself, they mention that they've seen this star and that they know that there's a king. And and, and the king, Herod, turns to the scribes and the Pharisees and says, can you tell me more about this? And they say, well, he's supposed to be born in Bethlehem. But there's no indication that these scribes, though they know the prophecy and the story, have ever put any, any of that learning into action themselves. It looks like in this moment, no one has been searching for Jesus except for a few you mystics from way out east. And it's interesting because it's not by accident. The Bible tells us that these men were known for studying the stars. For them, the celestial beings and the moon and the stars were of great value. They studied them. They mattered. They knew. And so when they saw the star, they, well, they were being talked to by God in their very own language. Isn't that so wonderful about our king? 
I mean, I, I know that you've been lied to and fooled to think that the mysteries of God are only reserved for the religious of God. But the truth of the matter is that my God is a revealer of himself to anybody. Amen. How many of y'all have, man, I just had a conversation with a young man in our church and he said, you know, when I was wiling out in the street, I felt like Jesus was always with me. And I have to be honest with you, it was all I, I could do to keep myself from holding myself in because I'm like, ain't that good? Because when I was freaking out and being bad and doing bad things, I felt like I could always feel Jesus because he was always talking to me because he's just that good. Jesus is so good that even when you're far from him, he's even closer. He's near to the brokenhearted. He says, come after me. I'm going to chase after you you. Jesus loves when people are lost. He's a finder of people. Now, I love that he doesn't reveal himself to Jerusalem because he's like, they'll get it in time. I want to talk to some people who are in a place of desperation, who want to know me for themselves and for whom this might make a difference. So the question is, is that you? Are you one of those people who, like the wise men, are seeking after more. What I love is that he talks to them in their language. It's reminiscent of the Psalm 42, deep cries out to deep. It's as if these men who are looking for something more beyond the life in which they live find it, like Jesus knows that they're searching for him. I don't know how about you, but I just, when I was younger, I just, I just, I just felt like surely this is not all there is. How many of you have that moment where you're just like, <laughs> this is it? You, you know, most of us are, are, are in a place of wanting for more, thinking, if I just get the next job, if I just get a better paycheck, if we just get that house, ooh, if I could just drive that truck, things would be better. And then how many have you ever gotten that thing? And then nothing changes. You ever get that job and still miserable? And you're like, well, I don't want to admit that it's me, but it's definitely me. <laughs> you ever think to yourself, if I could just fall in love, everything would be perfect. And then you fall in love and you're like, now it's imperfect times two. You're imperfect. We're, this is terrible. <laughs> I want to tell you today that much of what this world promises you and has to offer for you is fleeting and unfulfilling. It will not fill the God-shaped hole in your life. And there is something in the heart, nay, I say, in the instinct, in the very core of every human being that yearns for something more. The whole world is looking for a God. Everyone is looking for a God. The best part about our God is that he's looking for us too. Amen. You see, ours is not a God who sits in a temple. Ours is not a God who looks high and never looks low. Ours is not a God who does not know your name. He knows you by name before you were formed in your mother's womb. He knew you. Ours is a God who is intimate. He's present. His name is Emmanuel. God with us. How amazing is that? See, for the searchers in the room, for the ones in this place who've just always been looking for something greater, for something more. You've been told that you're a daydreamer, that you don't, con you don't concentrate well. You've been diagnosed for ADHD because you can't stop moving and you can't stop looking around. Girl, me too. Don't you worry. I don't know if you can tell. For those of us who've been labeled as not able to be here and now, I want to tell you that that is something unique that the Lord has built within you. He might even call you wise because it's the wise ones who say, surely there's more than just this life here. 
I've got to find something greater than me. There's got to be an answer to the question I keep asking, which is why? Now, the Bible, the Bible makes it clear who you are. Proverbs 14, 15 says it is the wise who consider the steps every day. In comparison, it says it's the foolish who just believe whatever's in front of them. That spirit of skepticism that you have about the things that you see, guess what? God calls that wisdom. Proverbs 18 and 15, it says the wise, their ears and their eyes, seek knowledge. It means that's why you ask so many questions, because God put the gift of wisdom in you to seek and ye shall find. I want to challenge you today. You're here. You're a seeker. I don't know if you know the numbers, but NPR just released a report, uh, some latest Pew Research data, and they, it's a beautiful, damning, terrible report. The church is dead. For the first time in the history of this country, attendance as, at Christian churches, they call them evangelical because they like to demonize them, but at Christian churches has finally, for the first time, fallen below 50%. And they like to write it like this, it turns out everybody's figured out that it's not real, right? That's the sentiment. All the hocus pocus. And then they'll tell you stories about pastors. You know who they are, like the big fancy car guys, right? And they're like, everybody's caught in wind of the asking for money. <laughs> I read this article this morning on Heart for the House Sunday. I'm like, oh, great, wonderful, very encouraging. <laughs> the narrative is that the world has found out that this isn't real. And I want to encourage you today. Because look at you, you're here, which means two things. Number one, you're a seeker, you're a searcher. You know that what this world has to offer is not enough and it will not fulfill and you're chasing after something more, amen? Now, the second thing it means, if the data is true, it means that God is removing the looky-loos He's removing those who play church. He's removing the cultural Christianity. He's removing the Christianity that's mostly political and ideologically based. He's removing all of those who are occupying seats. We call them frozen chosen. All the cranky tanks who don't like it when you're in their seat. What he's doing is weeding through the mud to find what the Bible has always called and still calls today the faithful remnant. The good news about this new story is that you, look at you, you are the faithful remnant, the one who's he, whom he's called and you made it today. Amen. You should shout about that. Amen. Now, tomorrow's a brand new day, but you made it today. Come on, somebody. Yeah. Where the seekers and the wise seek the divine. Everybody in this room is like, I know there's a Jesus and I want to know him more. Now, our God is better than just letting us chase after him. Amen. Truth is, is that our God is the God of signs and wonders. When you seek, ye shall find. The Bible tells us here that the men, they see the star. <laughs> and better yet, it doesn't just stand still. Though they're star studiers, they recognize this star is different. And then this star, ready for it? It begins to move. Now, how many of you have ever seen a shooting star? It's awesome. 
How many of you were at, fellas, how many of you were at our men's advance? Y'all were there? Okay. So last summer we were at our advance in the mountains and we're all out on the campfire talking God things. And, um, and we're all looking up. Do you remember? This is so nuts. And all of a sudden, one of us sees a shooting star. And you know how it works, right? Someone sees a shooting star and they go, whoa, shooting star. And then everybody looks up and everybody misses it. You know what I mean? And then you think, eh, right, whatever. But that night, someone saw a shooting star and they looked up and they said, shooting star. And we all looked up <laughs> and I thought the rapture had happened because we saw Elon Musk's Starlink satellite, which is a train some 10 miles long of linked, lit LED satellites that goes around the world. And so we all looked up to see one shooting star and we saw a flipping caterpillar flying through the sky. <laughs> and there are very smart men in our church at that advance. And we were like, everybody grab your things, call your wives, it's all over. <laughs> it was terrifying. Until thankfully, one of our engineers was like, guys, it's Starlink. And everybody like calm down. You know how you do when you panic and you say things you didn't mean. You're like, I love you. I don't love you and whatever. It was an interesting moment, but I want you to think about this for just a second. These men were familiar with the sky that they saw, and just like us that night, shocked and a little bit worried, these men saw in the sky something brand new. And then what they saw began to move. In fact, the Bible tells us that when it moved, they moved. Now, these are not foolish, impetuous, or impulsive men. These are men who know all of what's above. And the Bible says that when the star began to move, it was as though God began to beckon them forward. Now, I hear this all the time. Pastor, why aren't there miracles today like there were back then? And I said, well, like, like what? First time someone ever asked me this in our church, I said, like, give me an example. What are the miracles you're looking for? <laughs> and he said, you know, like the flood. <laughs> and I said, I don't know about you but I'm godly happy that that one hasn't shown up so far. I said, give me another example. He said, you know, like the healings or the, or, or the way, you know, that Joshua made everything stand still or when they saw angels. And the truth of the matter is, is that those things are still happening. We're just not paying attention. Can I say that to you today? God is still in the wonder-working business. He's still a way-maker and a miracle worker, and he's doing it right now. The problem is, is that most of us are so busy, or dare I say, so rational, that we do this wonderful job of just sort of discounting everything. I remember when I first got sober, and I used to, because I was excited to be sober, because if you've ever not been sober for a while and you get sober, you're just like, oh my gosh, I didn't do drugs today. And people think that's weird, by the way. <laughs> Two days. People were like, two days, what? But I would tell people how great it was that God had begun to work in me, how he saved me, and how he, he didn't give up on me. And I would tell them, 
I would tell him, like, and, and it's God's work. Like, I don't really do much. I just pray, and I show up, and it just he keeps me sober. And people used to say what I think was well-meaning but was heartbreaking. They would say, no, it's because you're putting in the work. Wow. You're really serious about this. You're, you're doing the right things. And I know what they meant was don't give someone else whom I don't know the credit. They were trying to say give yourself the credit. And here it is, ready? I think a lot of us are giving ourselves the credit when God works a miracle in your life. See, when he repairs a marriage, when he repairs a marriage that was broken, when it was done, and he gives that couple the humility and the wisdom to listen to him, and then he re-yokes them, that's a miracle. And what do we do? Well, we just went to therapy. <laughs> she admitted she was wrong. She's like this. Mm -hmm. We do this all the time. We think God doesn't move, but when God moves, we think we moved. And I want to challenge you today to be a little bit more like these astrologers whom when you see a movement of God, take for a moment, just one fleeting second, to behold the glory of God. For every marriage that's in this room that's been held together through thick and thin, that's the work of the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. For every baby we dedicated this year, that's a miracle. I don't know about you, but I don't know how to make babies, but he does. For every addict who's alive, that's a miracle. That's, that's why Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 46, called the Fellowship of the Believers. It's this beautiful picture of this tiny, earnest community of faith. And God says they just gather and they dedicate themselves to the word and they break bread and they care and then I do miracles. You've heard me say this before, but I'll say it again. This place is the only place where you'll see miracles. Honestly, go to AA, you won't see it. Go to a book club, you won't see it. Jonah's fantasy football team, you won't see a miracle unless Baker Mayfield leads a fourth quarter drive down the field. That was the Lord. Amen. Amen. The truth of the matter is, is that God is always doing miracles. It's just that we haven't been paying good enough attention. And so the, the wise men, having seen the signs and wonders of the Lord, they go to see him, Jesus. Now I want to jump through this conversation where the wise men come to Herod because it literally is a whole nother teaching. But I'll just leave it at this. The wise men are seeking the king of the Jews. Amen? And they go to the king of the Jews and say, <laughs> ready? Where's the king of the Jews? <laughs> it would be like if someone showed up to your house, to a married couple's house, and stood in front of the husband and said, I'm looking for the man of the house. And you were to say, that's me. And they were to say, know the actual man of the house. 
That's how Herod would have taken this. He's offended. You should be big offended, right? Herod's mad. He turns to his scribes and his Pharisees and he says, what's this story? Because he's not a Jew. He doesn't even know. Scribes and Pharisees know. They share with him. And then Herod devises a plan to try to manipulate the wise kings, but you can't manipulate wise people to go and find this king so he can kill him. Okay? We got to preach that someday because it's good. The wise men follow the star. The Bible says, again, here in verse 9, after listening to the king and blowing him off, they went their way. And behold, that same star that they had seen when it rose, it went before them and it rest over the place where the child was. The wise men are seeking after something more. And when God shows his move, his work, his signs and wonders, they're left to follow because that's wisdom too. And when they arrive at the place where the star has rested, meaning where God has decided to dwell, they respond. And today our time together is really about responding to the move of the Lord. I shared with you all of the wonderful things that the Lord has been doing in our church and it should compel each one in this church to respond in a similar fashion. I want you to see here that the wise respond in kind. The Bible tells us that they show up to the house. <laughs> so fun. Verse 10 says they show up and they rejoice exceedingly. Verse 11 says they fall down and worship him. Verse 11 also says they give lavish gifts. And this is going to be shortly our roadmap for how to respond to a move of God. But first, one more time, I have to burst your bubble. I talked about this with our staff this morning, our team, about how many of you have a nativity set set up for Christmas. You have a nativity set. Okay, right? You have a baby Jesus. There's more. I know you guys love Christmas like I do. The baby Jesus, right? And then, and it's... Adorable. And then there's Joseph and Mary, right? And what else is that your nativity set? Wiseman, right? And a camel, right? And a shepherd. And that's your setup. And because you and I all believe that the wise men were there at the birth of Jesus. Well, hold on. The Bible says, when the star had come to rest, verse 11, they went into the house. But Jesus was born in a... That's not a house. Here's what we end. Ha ha. I love my church. Here's what we really understand. Okay. When Jesus was born, his star had arisen. And when these men saw it, they were in the east. Now, I don't know if you've ever walked across a whole country, but you don't get there by morning. What we understand is that at this time, Jesus was likely somewhere between three months and two years. Joseph and Mary had moved out of the barn and into a home. And when the wise men showed up, Jesus was at home doing what toddlers do. Amen? So I'm not telling you to get rid of your wise men on your nativity scene but maybe just make a nicer house so it's more representative of the visit. <laughs> and here's what we find is that when the wise men who've been seeking the divine, who are moved by the signs and wonders of God, who are compelled to follow, when they arrive, they find the king of the Jews. They've been looking for a king and they show up, and I use the word toddler on purpose because you can hear some, they're looking for a king and they find, <laughs> hi. <sighs> 
give me my juice. They find a toddler. Don't it always seem to go? You don't know what you got till it's gone. It's like when they searched, they were ready to see something and God provided something different. How many of you know that? Oh, it's got to work like this. And he's like, how about this? No. Oh. And here's the picture. Ready? They come in looking for a king. Whew. And they find the king. And the Bible says they rejoice exceedingly. Now you and I live in a world that kind of tamps down celebration. But the word rejoice exceedingly, this term in this text, is meant to say they literally lost their ever-loving minds. They walked in and they were like, we're about to meet the king. Grab your gifts. Be wise. Be wise. Wise. Be wise. I think that's how, I don't know. And they saw Jesus and they leapt for joy. They shouted, they fell out, they cried, the high fives, the fist bumps, the whole nine. They were like, it's the king, it's the king, it's the king. I found him, I found him, I found him, I found him. There was nobody in the house being like, chill out, bro. They were losing their minds because they met the king of the Jews. And I can imagine in my sanctified mind, he's like, Jesus, baby Jesus, let me toddler Jesus. Give me my juice. And then the Bible says they didn't just celebrate because celebration is a proper response to the presence and move of God. But beyond that, it says, read your Bible. It says they celebrated and then verse 11, they fell down in worship. Now, you want to talk about what's really the proper response to the move and presence of God? It's celebration. That's why when we stand on our feet and say, somebody shout and everybody clap and you do your part, that's celebration. But there's also a moment in our worship time together where sometimes people cry. Sometimes people are praying in tongues. Sometimes people are swirling around like a dervish. Sometimes people are just in their moment and you're like, are they even here? And the truth is they're not here. They're here. That's what real worship looks like. The Bible says that true worship is the response to the presence of God. And they give themselves away to the king. It says they threw themselves on the floor, rested their head on his little tiny feet and said, all hail King Jesus. But they weren't done. Once they'd composed themselves, and I love to consider what this worship would have looked like because they weren't confined to an hour and a half. Amen? Joseph was like, seriously, Mary, these people have been here for nine days. And I just want to watch TV. <laughs> Bible says, once they composed themselves, then they properly responded in part three. And it says they brought out gifts. Woo. And here's what they give. Ready? Because you know the story. And you can tell me what they gave. They gave gold. What else? And myrrh. Literally have no idea what those are. Do you? No, of course not. You have to study because myrrh. You might have shown me showed up to your house and said, I got you myrrh. <laughs> myrrh, thank you. They show up with gifts. And when we think about this story, because we've been taught culturally and traditionally, we think that these gifts given in the manger are given to a baby. So in our mind, our, not, our modern day mind, we think these are what? Baby shower gifts. 
That's what the picture would be in your head. You haven't labeled it. You're not like, you, you didn't think Joseph and Mary had a registry, right? But you are thinking these are gifts for the baby, except that he's not a baby. He's growing and at home. And they give gold, gold, a gift reserved solely for kings, given to kings as reverence and as an expenditure and sacrifice of great wealth to say, what you do, we submit to. And then frankincense, an aromatic incense burned in homes and temples of worship to make a sweet-smelling aroma so that the presence of the Lord would feel welcome. And then myrrh. And myrrh is the substance used in the ancient Near East for embalming the dead. Now, I don't know if you've ever gotten some weird baby shower gifts. But these wise men came to give the gift for the death of the king. These gifts are not given to a baby at a baby shower. These gifts are given to the king to supply his entire ministry while he makes his home here on earth. The gold to propel so he can do what he needs to do. The incense so his presence is made welcome. And the myrrh so that he would die according to his will and his plan. These gifts are not baby gifts. These gifts are housewarming gifts. They are saying, God, make your home with us. Emmanuel, welcome here. Have your way. We have a heart for your house. This is the gift that they give today. And it is the proper response to a move of God. It is the proper response to the presence of God when he moves and lives and has his being. We are invited to celebrate with reckless abandon, to worship in spirit and truth, and to give lavishly and thoughtfully that he might continue to work. Amen. Today, is our heart for the house. This is our time together to give in the same fashion as the wise men, to demonstrate our wisdom, to demonstrate that we've been seeking after him and we have found him moving in our midst. And today I wanna to challenge you as our church, this is our day to give financially. We're, we've changed our giving in our, in our drop down in all of the platforms that all of your gifts will go to the heart for the house gift. It is our earnest desire that from today through the end of the year, this church will raise an additional $100,000 so that we can continue to move and work and do what the Lord's called us to do here in the city. Amen. I've challenged our team to lead by example and I wanna challenge each one of you today to give to give sacrificially, to give generously. If you've never given today, there is no better time than to start right now. To give because he's good, give because he's moving, give because he's given you this home. You're sitting here today and you're like 100,000 is awesome, but they can do it. <laughs> this is not a teaching for everybody else. Today, this is your teaching. And I wanna challenge you to give today. If you're a tither, I would challenge you to double your tithe. If you've never offered, I challenge you to, to give and give in a fashion that matters. Good piece of advice I give to you 
that's always helped me is to never take counsel from fear. And so when you're worried about how you might make it from paycheck to paycheck or whether God can cover the gaps, that is not the voice that, see, that gives good counsel. We seek our counsel from the wise and from the righteous and from the Lord who says, I own the cattle on a thousand hills. We give sacrificially because God is moving. We give, we give generously because God is good and we give cheerfully because he loves that too. So you should see several ways that you can give on the screen today. I wanna challenge each one of you to do something mighty today. The beginning of next year when we return, we'll celebrate all that the Lord has done amongst us and we'll believe for even greater in the year to come, amen? Amen. Would you bow your head? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to respond rightly to you. You move, we move. You go, we go. We trust you and we love you. Now with the seed we sow, we ask that you'd multiply it. For the big giver, multiply it. For the small giver, multiply it for the tiniest seed, make it move in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining Be The Light Podcast with lead pastor C.B. Barthlow. Visit our website at denverbeacon.org. To download our Beacon app, text Beacon to 97000. Once again, text Beacon to 97000. Or join us in person at Beacon this Sunday, 10 a.m. at Comedy Works, 1226 15th Street in Denver, Colorado. Whatever you do, please remember to be the light. Let's go!